0: What do you think they're going to do this year? Are we going to make it to the Super Bowl? We. I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle. After years of empty seats, the San Francisco 49ers are filling Levi's Stadium once again. There's excitement about our football team once again in the Bay, but has their recent loss given anyone second thoughts? Is there a chance that this is a team that can return us to the Super Bowl? Joining me today to talk about our remaining football team is Niners beat writer Eric Branch and columnist Ann Killian. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us, Audrey. Yeah,
1: pleasure. Thank you.
0: So my goal for this podcast is to make it so that even a Niner superfan is going to get a lot out of that. And so are the people like me who are more casual fans of football so let's start with um evidently this team is good i i i see a lot more people wearing niners gear around the city eric were they supposed to be this good at the beginning of the year
1: well i'm sure everyone listening read my preseason predictions no July. doubt yeah. in depth i, I have on, them at chronicle.com um but i did there was a feeling to me when this team had jimmy garoppolo and that's huge for it, uh you know, an NFL team to have a competent quarterback. They were six and two, uh, you know, dating back to 2017. And when they didn't have him, they were a very terrible football team. Um, so my prediction was based on if Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't tear up his knee or tear up his shoulder, that they would be 10 and six, kind of sneak into the playoffs and be a wild card team and lose in the first round. So I didn't, you know, I, I guess, you know, not to, you know, start this by, patting myself on the back, <laughs> like, <"Go ahead." laughs> but I guess I just did. Um, do you still but,
0: think, is that still your prediction?
1: Well, no, I think they're, they're a much better team. I mean, I thought it would be kind of scratch and claw and find a way to the playoffs and be kind of be the gutty Niners. I did not expect them to be one of the best teams in the NFL and, you know, starting kind of mid season. have people start talking about the super bowl and not have anyone laugh about it. So they certainly exceed my expectations as far as you know, for the most part, how dominant they have been. Um, so I, I did not see this coming, but I did figure, you know, if you do have a, a, a good quarterback and you can keep them upright and on the field, you, you do have, you know, usually better than a puncher's chance.
0: Yeah. Um, it Dominant until Sunday, which I, I, I have to admit, I didn't watch the game. I had a kid conflict. But my husband turned to me at one point and said, they lost against the Falcons. And even I knew that is not a good sign.
1: So what happened? Well, I think, OK, they just played three really tough games against division leaders. And the last two were on the road, and they took a lot out of them, particularly the the last two games. And I just think, you know, it's human nature, or you know, physically, they weren't up to say, you know, after these games, say, here come the Atlanta Falcons, you know, four and nine, you know, I get fired up. (laughs) Yeah, here we go. (laughs) And they were
2: the the roster was decimated with injury. Yes, which is not an excuse because at this time of year, all NFL rosters are decimated by injury but for the 49ers it really key positions um particularly when you're covering a receiver like Julio Jones who is just fantastic and has been for years i mean you could see it right they they just weren't up to it
1: yeah that wasn't quite i mean certainly on the niners defense which is you know established itself as one of the one or two best in the nfl that was a, a makeshift kind of spare parts defense and they weren't up to Dealing with you know Atlanta, despite their the four nine record, has some offensive talent. So
0: so so for your average fan, um, if if they're looking at this last Sunday, does that mean we should be worried? And maybe we're being too optimistic about the play. You're nodding yes and
2: well. I don't. I mean, they're in the playoffs even with the loss right. against the Falcons because the Rams lost, they clinched. Um, they have two more games. They have a Saturday night game against the Rams. Um, which I think they just got snapped wide awake. I, I would expect them to be, you know, on on point for that game. But then they're 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 they go to Seattle and they don't win in Seattle. Seattle, no matter what any of them say, and some of them say, well, we don't really have that history with Seattle. Se- Seattle is in the Forty Nine er franchise's head as a thing, and so they could go up there and go from either being the number one seed. And having a bye and having home field advantage to dropping down to being the number five seed and going on the road for the entire playoffs. So it's a huge I mean, if that is the kind of thing that worries you, then, yeah, you should be worried because, I mean, I think most people would probably think, given history and everything else, that the second scenario is probably the more likely that they're going to be
0: the team that gets sent on the road because of their history in Seattle. Right. So, Ann, you um, over the last couple of years have been very critical of the Niners' uh, management. I know it, it's hard to imagine And being critical about some. Well, uh, I've had problems. A lot, a
2: lot of uh, a reason, lot of material. A lot of material to work with there.
0: So, but but you've been very critical of of the NFL in general. Um, I think rightly so, and of specifically the Niners. But what what do you think is different this time around? Because um, there's there's a lot of excitement about this and. It seems like something's clicking. I completely agree with you, and I have a column coming.
2: Um, I sat down with John Lynch um, to talk about that very thing, clicking and chemistry and why this team is different. This team, um, the, the 49ers just flailed for a long time. They um, they had a successful coach and that they couldn't live with, and they um, they parted ways with, with Jim Harbaugh. They made just a terrible error in replacing him and compounded it with a terrible error in, in replacing that coach. I'm talking about Jim Tomsula and Chip Kelly. They had a um, very um, difficult general manager that they put kind of all their eggs in his basket. Trent Balky, who was very difficult for the media to deal with, was um, just uh it, it was just a dysfunctional franchise in, in pretty much every every stage of of what was happening. Um, and they did, a couple of years ago, the right thing, which is they hired a really good coach, a really good offensive young coach. I mean, obviously, the history of the 49ers is offense. Um, and they hired, alongside him, a general manager who could be the face of the team. some John Lynch, who was very... Um, got a very strong, uh, agreeable public persona. He's very well respected around the league, both um, as, his pl- as a player and his broadcast career. He has ties to Bill Walsh, who he played with at Stanford. I mean, like they got the right people in place and, um, and they let them do their jobs. And I wasn't that surprised when they, um, you know, have had struggles because they didn't inherit a lot in terms of talent on the roster. Um, they, I think made a great move getting Garoppolo because you have to have a competent quarterback. Um, and, and I have been so impressed with Kyle Shanahan, just like way more than I expected to be. He is, uh, the most honest, um, normal kind of NFL coach that I've ever dealt with. Well, at least that I've dealt with since maybe George Seifert. Um, he, he, uh. He's not scared of the media. He doesn't put up a ton of walls. You can see his interactions with his players are the same way as his interactions with with normal people.
0: Like he he just has... Wait, wait, did you just call the media the normal people in this <laughs> <Yes>.
2: situation? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he's just he just has perspective and he had that right from the start. I mean, his first uh, month of training camp was when all the kneeling and the Trump stuff was going on and all that craziness. And he didn't like, freak out or get scared or say, I don't know anything about that. Like he he answered questions about it. He said, like, I turn on the TV. I'm I'm upset about what's going on in our country. I mean, like, who wouldn't be? Like he, I mean, that sounds like what a normal person would say, but NFL coaches don't tend to be normal people. They tend to be super defensive and paranoid and weird. So Kyle's great on a whole bunch of different levels, including his play calling, his organization, his leadership skills. So um, I just think, the 49ers have the right people in place. And and it's allowed Jed and the York family to to take a step back. They don't have to be in the spotlight. They're not making the big decisions. Um, obviously they're writing the checks, but they're not, you know, just during those super dysfunctional years, they were inserting themselves into all sorts of things, including the big nasty breakup with Harbaugh. So I just think they're they're functioning as a, as a professional organization again.
0: Eric, you, you get to spend a lot of time with the players and coaches and in the locker room. Is the, is the, is that sort of, I don't know, maturity and adultness that Ann's talking about, does it filter down to the players themselves? Do you see a difference in the locker room?
1: Yeah. I was, when they first came aboard, there was all this talk, we're going to get the right guys. And of course, I'm like, OK, we, we've heard this before. And then one of the first draft picks was Reuben Foster, who, uh, you, you know, on the face of it was not what you would term a choir boy or the right type of guy. But, uh, not know.
0: only not a choir boy, but I, I remember getting a call on a Friday night uh, from the sports editor saying Eric Branch is being told to leave the hotel room because Foster just got arrested and his girlfriend may be hurt. Like not a choir boy is an understatement. Right. Well, but
1: we (laughs) began with, we don't think he's a choir boy. And then he, there was mountains of evidence by the end of his tenure that no, right. This is beyond (laughs) that type of a problem. Um, But yes. And it sounds like, you know, the company line, but they have really, for the most part, obviously notable exceptions, such as Reuben Foster, who I think they thought, Hey, he's going to come into all our culture and we can change him. And maybe their eyes have opened to kind of how much you can do that, how much influence you can exert over guys, you know, who so many of these guys have dysfunctional childhoods and everything. And you can't just say, hey, we're going to snap our fingers and wrap our arms around him and, and change him. Um, but anyway, I, I guess the overall big picture is the the leaders in that locker room, um, you know, they set the tone. And I know a lot of people, like, when they got Richard Sherman, they're like, oh, my gosh, he's a hothead. He criticizes the coaching <laughs> staff. And all that stuff did happen in Seattle to, to you know to varying degrees. Richard Sherman has been, you know, one of the greatest teammates I, I've ever seen. I mean, he goes out of his way to credit everyone. Um, you know, he has an ego. He's one of the great cornerbacks in NFL history. And, and he's not afraid to let you know it. But before he gets to that, he'll tell you about, you know, 17 other teammates who are doing so great. Um, So when you have those type of guys setting the tone, you know, maybe some guys who maybe aren't the greatest guys, they're going to fall in line. And and because of that, you know, guys like Joe Staley, a guy like Mike McGlinchey, who's in his second year, he's 24 years old, but he comes across as like a 44-year-old presidential candidate. Um, They just have a lot of guys like that. George Kittle who is, you know, kind of in his own way, crazy, um, you know, big WWE fan. Um, I'm a total maniac on the field in, in the best way possible in the NFL. Um, but he's the guy people look at and say, geez, if I'm not practicing or playing as hard as George Kittle, you know, then uh, maybe something's wrong with me. So they brought in all those guys mentioned, um, you know, our guys, uh, this regime has brought in and, you know, obviously, we're not, with the exception of Re- Reuben Foster in Tampa and me almost getting arrested that night. Um, <laughs> you know, we're not, you know, you know, talking to the police and trying to figure out how this guy got arrested. Knock on wood. Right, which obviously was so much of the later Har- Harbaugh years and and beyond.
2: And there, I think there's a different vibe about, I, I feel like there's a different vibe about this team than Harbaugh when they were winning because even though that, and that team had some really good, great um high quality players on them you know alex smith frank gore uh patrick willis um, those are those are people who you know you would want in any walk of life you know really really good men but there was also not only you know alden smith and ray mcdonald there were you know some the bad characters uh, ahmed brooks um but but there was also this defensive mentality, this, you know, Jim Harbaugh had this circle the wagons and don't ever doubt me. And, you know, those everyone on the outside is is a bad person. And and um, which kind of created this weird kind of tension, even when they were succeeding and and kind of that there there wasn't there didn't seem to be the good chemistry and connection kind of with the community that there is now. I mean, I just feel like it's it. there's a different feeling about this team than there was then. And and part of it is the difference between Shanahan and, uh, and Harbaugh and Balky and Lynch, I think.
0: I'm speaking with Niners beat writer Eric Branch and columnist Ann Killian about our San Francisco 49ers. We're going to take a break, but we'll be back and talk about what it's actually like in the press box as a journalist for The Chronicle covering this team. I'm back with Eric Branch and Ann Killian, and we're talking about the 49ers. Now, um... One of the things that I think is really surprising to people when I talk to them about our sports journalism is at the end of the day, we're paying you all to be journalists. You are not fans of the team. And I see the people on Twitter. They are very upset about this. So maybe <laughs> maybe you can start, Eric, by talking about what is a typical week life? And if, if you if there's a little kid out there and they want to grow up and be a Niners beat writer, what is a typical week like
1: during the season? Well, I would say if you want to like have a normal family and whatever, and you want to cover, uh, you just pro-
0: called your family not normal. No, if you, if wanna you want your- to have a normal family, <laughs> okay.
1: But man, I, we're semi-normal anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the NFL, and you want to cover a uh, professional beat, I would say, you know, look into the NFL just because the travel. Um, and, the, and I don't want to say the time demands because I, I'm working 24-7, of course. Um, <laughs> but just more so the travel and the season lends itself, lend itself to a family. You have eight road trips as, as opposed to, say, NBA. You have 41 road games and, and you know, Major League Baseball is beyond that. Um, so it is doable, um, you know, to stay married and, and, you know, know your child's names. So that's very positive. Uh, so but a typical like for example i'll just go through you know a, a typical week sunday is the game and you get there about three hours before game time uh you write a pre-game post and then you're there for four hours after a game writing um monday will be the uh Kyle Shannon will have his press conference you go to that you write off that or whatever post-game stuff you've had tuesday is an off day it, which doesn't mean that you you take off, but you, you find another story uh, on a Tuesday. But there's no availability, media availability, so you don't go down uh, to the facility in Santa Clara. And then Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday pretty much look alike, and that means you'll either be talking, uh, have a press conference with uh, Shanahan, the defensive coordinator Robert Sala. The locker room is open, and that means um, you know not every player is going to be there. Uh, you can request players who, who you, you say I'm gonna do a story. I, I want to make sure, um, you know, who, whoever it is, Debo Samuel, the wide receiver, you know, you make sure he's there. But generally, you can go up to whoever is in the locker room and say, Hey, do you have a, a a second? And you know they'll help you whatever whatever story you're you're writing. And then Saturday before a game is off again, you're you're gonna be writing a you know game advance, and then you do it all over again. Um, so, I mean, that's a, a very plus generalized sometimes
0: travel on top of all. Of that yes,
1: it, exactly. So I'm sorry. Yeah. For example, they're playing home, but um, for Seattle and most games, you will you, fly to the city on a Saturday And, you know, obviously the game's Sunday.
0: So there's a saying in sports journalism that there's no cheering in the press box. And um, I I think it's really interesting whenever you go to a tense game, no matter what it is, not only football, but the stoic nature of all the people in the press box. So my question for you is, is it is it secretly more fun to cover the team when they're playing well and winning or do you really not care? Are you looking at me? I'm looking at you. Well, I'm looking at both of you. (laughs) Um,
2: Well, I will say the, um, the worst thing is when you feel like you're writing the same story season after season. So this season with the 49ers is really quite delightful because it's completely surprising. You know, we have seen so much dysfunction with this team and so much losing and just, you know, kind of irrelevancy, empty, like you mentioned at the beginning, empty seats, you know, people not engaged. Uh, so this is a whole different thing. Um, so this is fun. Yeah. Um, teams losing and, and cannibalizing themselves. That can be fun to write about too. Um, but I do think that there's something about, I mean, you know, we, we write stories that we want people to read and, teams losing a lot of people just check out they don't really want to be engaged I mean they'll be reading about transactions or draft picks or all the ways that maybe the team will get better but on a day-to-day during the season if a two and 14 team you know they're they're just there is there's the interest is really gonna tail off so I think um, a lot of times it is more fun to cover a winner I think we saw that through the Giants years where um, you know people were couldn't get enough of what we wrote about um, the, the Giants while they were winning World Series. Now, not so much, you know. So I think, um, I think you know, y- you want to be able to tell good stories. And, and really, the 49ers story was too much the same for several years in a row there.
0: Eric, do you really not care if they win or lose?
1: Well, I I truly don't. My wife actually roots for the 49ers to lose. So her her thinking is then they won't play in January. They won't go to the playoffs and I'll be home. So (laughs) I can say maybe the wives feel differently. I really, but I I would largely echo. And there is a fun tension with losing. And, you know, you'll find out a lot about players, um, you know, who, you know, who buries their teammate, who has an excuse for, you know, that loss and why this happened. And, um, and so you, you find out about players' character and coaches' character, I think, a lot more during, you know, difficulty, adversity in two and 14 seasons. But, yes, what Ann was saying, um, there was a distinct Groundhog Day element to covering the 49ers. And, you know, there were stories Ann and I would, would be really proud of. But then you click, you know, you know, go online and it's like into a void. Like, does anyone care about this team? (laughs) No, we care about the Warriors training camp, you know? (laughs) So the fact that they are are relevant, I mean, maybe it'll uh, help us keep our jobs too. You know, we got some more digital traffic. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's true. I mean, we
0: did, it used to be that Monday traffic was totally online, was totally buoyed by Niners coverage. And we definitely saw that end in the last couple of years. And it's only now starting to come back.
2: Well, and for those of us who've been around for a long long time. Um you know, there's something about the 49ers relevancy that is different than other teams. Um and maybe the Giants also, but there's there's a and we're seeing it on the road this year. I mean, there is a a, a latent dormant fan base that is very very passionate and intense, but they've been kind of beaten down over the years. And now all of a sudden they're showing up and they're 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 wearing their gear and You know, other fan bases mock them like, oh, well, you know, the Steelers do that all the time, you know, come high, you know, fair weather or not, whatever there. But but for the 49ers fans and, you know, Bay Area have always been a different kind of breed of sports fans. But but it is kind of cool to see like this pride that has been, you know, these fans been kind of pummeled down. Some of it is the move to Santa Clara, to be honest. I mean, there are a lot of people from San Francisco north who are still upset about that and just felt divorced from the whole thing, but, but, um, you know, I, I think there is, there is, so it's, it's, there's a, there's something fun to kind of reconnect with those people to see them getting excited. And uh, look, we, we were talking about chemistry and about the team and character, like these aren't difficult people to, to feel good that they're succeeding. There are some people in sports and many in the NFL that if they were succeeding, you would be like, Ugh. I'm not that happy about that guy succeeding. But and until further notice, this team seems like a, you know, pretty, pretty good group of people.
0: Well, when we were speaking earlier, Eric, you were telling me a story about um a somewhat difficult player on this team. And and I, I'll let you decide if you want to say who that is. But do you feel like fans understand who these people are? Uh, who these players are as people? Do you have a different appreciation? What's it like? Can you just walk up to them in the clubhouse like, and just start a conversation? How does that interaction work?
1: Well, the answer is you can. I mean, in past years I've had, um, for example, when I, early on, I've covered the 49ers since 2010. And so I remember in my first year um, I was asking a nose tackle, Abreu Franklin, if I could speak with him. He had his back to me, so I said, "Abreu, do you do you have a a few minutes?" And his teammate Paris Har- Harrelson said, "Abreu, do you have a few minutes?" Mocking my uh, <laughs> mocking my voice. <laughs> so, um, as a rookie beat writer, I was a bit taken aback. Didn't expect that. And you do have, <clears throat> excuse me, those type of interactions where like. Oh, that doesn't seem overly polite <laughs> or nice, <laughs> and that certainly that's happened through the years, you know. Um, but this team—I'll talk about Mike McGlinchy. He's the 24-year-old in, in, in his second year um, I, that I mentioned earlier, and the, he's just one of the guys. But he's just struck me as someone like he. This is unusual, and, and it seems. Again, very normal, but he calls you by your first name, you know, because we're there every day, right? Um, and they're just little, little things that like he's he seems like he's not talking to you, just kind of shooting the breeze to curry favor so you write nicely about him. Like he seems genuinely interested in your life. That's highly unusual, <laughs> <laughs> like that really doesn't happen. I mean, there are stories of of people, you know, that have covered teams for like fifteen years, day in and day out, and then they show up one day like on crutches or have a cast on their hand and no one says anything. <laughs> it's like, you know, you would think one person, one athlete might say, Hey, what happened? Looks like you have a broken leg. <laughs> but so it's we're it's, just <laughs> part of the furniture. <laughs> really. exactly. Well
0: well and is it how I'm sure you get this asked this all the time, but is it different? for you as a woman in these locker rooms? Because I I remember going to a a Raiders game with you, and um, I'm not probably telling anyone anything they don't know, but you are shorter than I am. I mean, what, (laughs) you're like five feet tall? Shorter than the average bear. And uh, and, uh, much smaller (laughs) than these giant football players. And I remember you getting right up into their, uh, you know, like inches away from them in the scrum. And I just thought, wow, that is really impressive. So, like, do you think it's different for you as a woman interacting with the players? Um, Not as much
2: as it used to be. Uh, it's a, it's a little bit different because, you know, locker rooms and clubhouses are certainly male-dominated areas. But I think that there are so many women um, working in the business now, working in the Bay Area, Um I was just talking with Bob Myers the general manager of the Warriors about this like the millennial age players they don't really have the same views as the generation before them because they've they've uh, you know they've grown up with ESPN they've been getting their n- sports news from women for their entire lives they've probably if they went to big college programs they had women reporters covering them and like it's just part of the deal now so I don't I don't think it It used to be, I mean, believe me, 25 years ago, it felt very different. I always felt like, you know, there was a great big spotlight on me. But I don't really feel that way anymore. Um, And locker rooms are so, especially post-game locker rooms, are just so chaotic and, you know, crazy. And being five feet tall is very difficult to try and get anywhere close to hearing, you know, what someone has to say when they're mobbed. And, um, yeah, it's just it's it's not a pleasant working environment for really anyone but um so you know the teams tend to now pull out the players they know everyone wants to talk to like um the starting quarterback always comes out to a press conference room um with the 49ers they bring out kittle they bring out sherman they just because it makes it easier. Everyone can hear you can, you know, you're not squashing the person back in my early day, like with Steve Young and Joe Montana. I mean, they they didn't do that. You would interview them in the locker room. I remember having when I was pregnant with my uh, with my daughter, like having to waddle up to Steve Young and he would be like, make way for the pregnant lady. So I'd always get like right up to the front of the scrum. But yeah, I mean, it's it's,
0: so basically, they'll they'll notice that you're pregnant, but not that Eric has a broken leg. That's
2: well, what we're learning. Well, here. okay, I was talking about Steve Young. I would say Steve Young was an exceptional athlete. Um, he would notice. He knew my name. He knew about my kids and everything. Um. He was always a rare bird. I would say probably most of the other guys on that team had no idea I was pregnant. They just thought I had gained some weight.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, uh, last question for you um, that I know everybody really wants to know. What is it really like to talk and cover Jimmy Garoppolo?
1: Very boring. (laughs)
0: What? (laughs) Boring? He's,
2: He's pretty... He's pretty careful with what he says. Um, He doesn't. Are
0: all the quarterbacks like they've been specially groomed to be sort of a voice and face and they're a little more. Well, you know, don't let's not
2: let's not forget where he came from. He came from New England and watched Tom Brady do this for years, which is smile, look pretty. uh, Don't say anything, but, you know, have everyone just hanging on every word. And I think he learned well. I mean, not there are there are really interesting quarterbacks in this league um I would say Drew Brees is pretty interesting usually um Aaron Rodgers is usually pretty interesting Steve Young used to be fascinating um but Jimmy's more the I'm not going to say anything but I'm going to look pretty darn good in front of those cameras
1: Yeah he's very um affably bland um and so he he's like he'll, he'll answer your questions but uh, I mean there's not a whole lot of substance to it um but I, I would say my sense of him is and again, there's a degree to which we know these people, um, but he strikes me as actually a decent guy, fairly grounded. You know, he has this, a, a blue collar, upbringing. A, a his dad was an electrician, and he doesn't want to separate himself and be like, I'm the quarterback. Um, and I think that's that's really genuine. And there are <clears throat> interactions I've had with him Um he, I'm not sure he knows my name, um, however, uh, you know, which are just like because he is so bland and he is is public in his press conferences, I will often leave his press conferences to go to the locker room where there's better, uh, you know, maybe material talking to other players instead of listening to Jimmy Garoppolo be affably bland. And so it's happened so often it's become kind of a thing and Jimmy Garoppolo will act surprised as I'm leaving as he's entering his press conference and say, hey, what <laughs> What did I say? Where, where are you going? You'll be the only beat writer whose name he actually knows, and it's <laughs> yeah. because you bail on his press conferences. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm,
0: uh, uh, that's, that's interesting insight. All right, final lightning question. What do you think they're going to do this year? Are we going to make it to the Super Bowl? We? Oui. Well, There's you know, no San Francisco. Okay. Gosh, you, Santa Clara. Right, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Are the Niners going to? I, you know, San Francisco. Jeez, you guys. No cheering from the press box. Are the 49ers going to make it to the Super Bowl? Um,
1: you know, I, I don't think so. I, I've learned, you know, who the heck knows in the NFL. Uh, but. It just seems like they are getting to a point where, where the injuries are, you know, this isn't quite the same team we saw, particularly on defense, because early in the season it was like, whoa, could this be like one of the best defenses of all time? And just there's been so much attrition. They're, they're going to get guys back. Richard Sherman didn't play. Sunday has noted they could that really would have helped. Um, but it, it just feels like um, the attrition, and maybe they're wearing down just a little, and the defense has been the story. And who knows? Uh, you know, Shanahan and, and Jimmy Grapple on the offense, maybe, um, you know, they'll start um, replicating what they did in New Orleans when they scored 48 points in just a classic game. So, I, I, a wishy washy answer is I truly don't know. Almost, <laughs> almost affably blame. <laughs> <laughs> and are the, are the Niners going to make it? Um,
2: I The 49ers, I do not think will make it to the Super Bowl. And I, I will say, because of what I said before, I think that they are probably going to um, be a team that has to go on the road. I think they're, as we talked about early on, slightly ahead of schedule in terms of their success. Um, I think they may be losing the NFC Championship game on the road, perhaps in New Orleans. Um, and But I still think this has been, a whatever happens, a wildly successful season. I don't think anyone should... If they don't make it to the Super Bowl, they don't win a Super Bowl. Anyone should think that this was not you know, a a really successful season and that this fairly young team has, we talk about windows in sports, and I think their window is open for a while.
0: Thanks a lot for coming in today after the game yesterday to talk to me about it. Thanks Thanks for having us. Thank you to Niners beat writer Eric Branch and columnist Ann Killian for being with me today. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network.
1: If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing.
1: You can support 5th and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle.
0: There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.
1: Am I just completely screwing this thing up? Not at
2: all.
0: <laughs> yes! yes. <laughs> we'll be back but not with Eric Ranch.